Hello there, and welcome to the fourth podcast lecture for this class. The topic for this podcast lecture is going to be the concept of transference, so get ready for that. But before we get into transference, let's listen to some introduction music and then do a review. time. Now you've heard a bunch of this stuff a couple of times before, so I'm going to go through it kind of quick here. Point number one, psychoanalysis is this thing that is more interested in stuff, and by stuff I mean behaviors, patterns, desires, that sort of thing, that don't work. Things that are problematic as opposed to things that are working well. Uh, It is interested in things like the unconscious, the return of the repressed, and drive objects. Which brings me to point number two, the unconscious. What is that? The unconscious is a part of you that has a mind of its own. Point number three, that mind, the mind of the unconscious, is made up of repressed desires, memories, affects, which is another word for emotions, and other things that have been experienced as traumatic or would be experienced as traumatic if we were conscious of them. Point number four, when something is repressed, we are not aware of it. We do not know that it's there, but it keeps on popping up in our lives in weird ways. And this is what Freud called the return of the repressed. In a previous podcast lecture, I made a comparison uh, to a ghost that haunts us. The return of the repressed is like a ghost that haunts us. That was the claim that I made. Point number five, a name for a person who has an unconscious is a subject. I say that because you will frequently hear me from this point forward talk about subjects. When I'm talking about a subject, I'm talking about a person with an unconscious. I want you to realize that. Point number six, psychoanalysis has been described and can be described as the examination of or very close study of the relationship between a subject and their object or their drive object. Point number seven, a drive object. This is what we talked about in the last podcast lecture. This is something, a drive object is something that we go after And yet, even if we get that drive object, we're not satisfied. We want more of that drive object. It could be something like power or money or security or validation. There's all sorts of things that can function as drive objects. And we might get them from time to time. But when we get them, a lot of times rather than feeling like, okay, I got what I wanted, um, we might feel that for just a little bit. Oh, yeah, I got what I wanted. I feel good. But then very quickly after that, we're going to want more of that thing, whatever it is. Uh, in addition to that, drive objects tend to be things that are excessive. And by excessive, I mean they're things that we don't actually need in order to like live. They're, they're things that are we could describe them as surpluses or luxuries or extras, but we really want them very badly. And in addition to that, they're things that could be seen as transgressive. By transgressive, I mean they're things that uh, are, are pursuit of them could be read by ourselves or others as something that we probably shouldn't be doing, but we can't help ourselves. We have to do it. Even though we shouldn't do it, we have to do it. Even though people tell us, you know what? You shouldn't be going after that thing. That That is a bad idea. We're like, yeah, but I can't. I, I'm going to do it anyways. I can't help myself. So that's drive objects. Which brings me to the last point 
of the review. Our desire for our drive object is one of those desires that I referred to earlier that oftentimes gets repressed and then kind of comes back and haunts us in these different ways. Uh, to say that in a different way, when there is a drive object in our life, we, we want it. But our desire for that object is a desire that we are not totally aware of. A lot of times we're, we're completely unaware of it, but we're going after it anyways. And uh, sometimes it even shows up in ways that are, are, this is really super interesting when it happens. People will come in as your patient or your client or whatever, and they will tell you, okay, there's this thing. I know it's bad for me. I'm going to avoid it. I shouldn't do it. I'm going to stay away from that thing. It could be an X. It could be drugs. It could be a, a bunch of things. And then what will happen is that person will, despite the fact that they consciously don't want to go after that thing, they'll end up going after it because there is this unconscious repressed desire that keeps on popping up in their lives. Okay, that's the review. Hopefully that stuff makes sense to you. From this point forward, what we're going to do is we're going to switch gears and we are going to start to talk about a concept that I'm sure you've all heard of before, although I don't think you will have heard it described in the way that I'll be describing it. And that concept is the concept of transference. Okay, so to start this off, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about what transference is not. And after I do that, I'll talk about what transference is from a psychoanalytic perspective. Why do it that way? Well, here's why. I am willing to bet dollars to donuts that everybody who's listening to this right now has heard the word transference before. You've heard other people use that word. I'm also pretty sure that many of you have used that word too. You've, you've talked about transference in other classes, maybe if you maybe you talk about it at your internship, if you work in mental health, maybe you've talked about it at your job with your supervisor, something like that. And I'm going to guess, I don't know this, but I'm going to guess that even though you've heard and maybe even used this word before, that you haven't been using it in a psychoanalytic or psychodynamic sense of the term. And I think that because I've taught this class now for years, okay? And for a long time, when I would get to this concept, I would do this thing where I would ask, you know, students in the classroom with me, you know, how would one of, how would you define transference? I'd ask that question. Or I'd say, tell me in your own words what you think transference is. Or I'd uh, say, can anybody give me an example of transference? I'd, I'd say something along those lines. And every single time that I did that, students would say something like transference is this thing that happens when you're working with somebody and they remind you of somebody else. Um, maybe they remind you of your parent or maybe they remind you of your kid or maybe they remind you of um, your friend or somebody, your roommate, whatever. They'd say basically that, right? That transference is this process wherein you are talking to one person, they remind you of another person Therefore, you treat the person you're talking to the way that you would the person who they remind you of. That was 
pretty much the description I got again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And well, there's, I'm sure that, that that's the way that the word gets kind of tossed around and used nowadays in sort of like commonplace situations. But in my opinion, that is not what transference is. That's wrong. That's incorrect. And what I want to do now is tell you what transference is from the point of view of psychoanalytic theory and psychoanalytic practice. So get ready for that. So now that I've covered what transference is not, what I want to do is I want to switch gears again, and I want to talk about what transference is. To do this, I need to start with our life as children and as teenagers. What I'd like you all to do, to the extent that you're able to do this, is try to start remembering what it was like when you were a kid. Call up some childhood memories. Try to remember what it was like when you were a teenager. You know, think of some things, think of what your life was like. Think of what kind of relationships you had when you were a kid, when you were a teenager. Start getting those circulating in your head. And now that you have those circulating in your head, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call your attention to something that you might be thinking about, but maybe you're not. When you were a kid, when you were a teenager, you had a lot less power, a lot less control than you do today. Today, you probably have a decent amount of what I'm going to call adult powers. There's things you can do with yourself, with your life, with your body, with your money, all that kind of stuff. And I'm willing to bet that when you were definitely when you were a kid and probably when you were a teenager, you didn't have that same kind of power and control that you have today. And this is something that's absolutely important to understand if you're going to understand transference. Because what happens in transference is that we end up transferring something from a previous relationship, usually a relationship we had when we were a child or a teenager, an earlier part of our lives, a relationship we had with somebody like a parent or a teacher or a coach or somebody who was a lot more powerful, a lot more knowledgeable, a lot more capable than us. And when we enter into a relationship and we start engaging in this thing called transference or when somebody enters into a relationship with us and starts transferring things to us, what is being transferred is actually a rather specific thing. It is a power dynamic. It is the power dynamic that existed in the previous relationship, the relationship when you were a kid, the relationship when you were a teenager. That is what is being transferred into the current relationship. I'm going to try to make that a little bit less vague and a little bit more specific. And I'm going to do that by giving you some examples of what this looks like in actual clinical practice. So what I'm going to ask you to do now is to imagine a situation. Imagine that you are a therapist somewhere and you're about to meet with a patient or a client, if you want to call them that, for the very first time. And so you go and you find that patient in the waiting room, you know, you greet them, They say hello, you say hello, 
you walk back to your office, you post it down. Maybe you do a little bit of small talk about something like the weather or, you know, did you have a hard time finding the place? Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff gets done. And then what you do is you get to, maybe maybe you do an assessment, maybe you do some other intake stuff. That, that gets done, blah, blah, blah. And then you start talking to the person. You say to the person, so what, what brought you in? Why are you here? Why have you come to this session? And the person starts to tell you about themselves and their life. They tell you about some of their issues, their problems, that sort of thing. And at a certain point, what they do is they say to you, so now that I've told you about myself, now that I've told you about my life, now that I've told you about my problems, do you have any advice for me? Can you tell me what I should do? Can you tell me how I can fix my problems? That's, that's an example of transference. What is being transferred in that hypothetical situation that I just described to you is the patient has come to you and they have this fantasy. They have this fantasy that you are a lot like their parent was when they were a kid. When they were a kid, their parent had the ability to give them things that they wanted or grant them access to things that they wanted. When you were a teenager, if you didn't have a car, you, you might have had to ask your parents, hey, can I use the car tonight? And your parents could say yes, and they'd, they'd let you use the car, right? That's how things were when we were younger. We actually went to these more powerful people people who had things like cars or money or knowledge that we didn't have. And we asked them to give us access to that car, access to that money, access to that knowledge. Or we asked them to use it in a way that would benefit us. Hey, will you pay for this class? Hey, can you drive me to this place? That sort of thing. When we were kids, when we were teenagers, that's what we did. We did it all the time. It, it was not something we probably thought a lot about. It's something that we just did. We went to people who had the things, the power, the control, the resources that we didn't have. And we asked them, hey, person who's more powerful than me. Hey, person who has resources that I don't have. Can you do this for me? And, you know, if, if the person liked us and they had the time, they would a lot of times do what we wanted. And if they didn't, they might say no. And a lot of times when we're kids, when somebody tells us, no, we're not going to do the thing that you want. I'm not going to do the thing that you want me to do. Uh, I'm not going to buy the thing that you want me to buy. I'm not going to uh, take you to the place you want to go. You know, kids, teenagers, they'll start doing this thing like bargaining. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Before you say no, um, what if I do extra chores? What if I pay you back? You know, they'll, they'll do these sorts of things. And because the teenager, the kid believes that the person who they've come to, the more powerful person who they've come to, that this more powerful person can actually give them what they want. This more powerful person can allow them to use the car. This more powerful person can give them the money. This more powerful person can answer their question that they don't know the answer to, right? That, that's the way it can work. There's a power differential between adults and kids and adults and teenagers. And it is that power differential that then gets transferred when we're adults and we do have adult powers and we can do a lot of stuff for ourselves. We, we still will enter into relationships with people and we will assume this is that unconscious thing that's happening without us realizing it. We will assume that the person who we are in a relationship with, that they actually can give us things that we want. And a lot of times, unlike when we were kids, that can't happen when we're adults, right? So like in the example that I just gave you, the hypothetical example of a patient coming to a therapist and saying that the therapist, you know, 
tell me how to fix my life. Tell me how to solve my problems. Tell me what's wrong with me and what I should do about it. Uh, especially if that happens really early on in the therapeutic encounter, the therapist doesn't know the answer to those questions. You don't know how to tell a person what to do with their life. You don't, you don't know them. And even if you've met with them for like months, you still probably don't, you can't tell them how to fix their life. You can't tell them how to fix their problems. It's not that simple, right? You can't just be like, if you just do ABC thing, everything will be awesome. Uh, or maybe for some things that, that I guess that could happen, but usually those are not the kinds of problems that bring people in to see a therapist. Usually those kinds of problems are more significant than that. Um, for example, somebody might come to you and say, uh, this person who I was, was very close to me has died and I'm grieving. Tell me how to get over it. And you know, if they're transferring, what they're doing is they're assuming that you actually have some kind of knowledge that you, if you share it with them, you'll tell them how to like speed up the grieving process and just kind of get it over with. But the reality is that you actually don't have that power, right? So that's, that's one of the ways that transference can manifest itself. Give you one more example, uh, also a clinical example. Sometimes a parent will bring their child to you and they'll say something like their kid is more interested in playing video games than doing their homework. And they'll say to you, therapist person, what I want you to do is spend one hour a week with my kid. And um, after a few sessions, I want you to convince my kid that doing their homework is actually really valuable and more important than playing video games. Can you please do that? And of course you can't do that. It's, it's not, it's going to take way more than, you know, an hour a week for a couple of weeks for you to get to know the kid, let alone convince the kid that they should do this thing that they probably don't want to do. Um, but in that case, the parent has transferred something onto you. They've transferred a power onto you. They think that you have, you know, magical therapist powers or something and that you can do this thing that you actually can't do. Those are examples of transference. So to wrap this up, transference is a specific thing. It's an unconscious process where somebody assumes, has a fantasy kind of, that another person, in the examples I gave a therapist, can do something that, that they can't do, that the therapist has powers that they don't have, that the therapist has knowledge that they don't have. Um, and they're asking you to give them that. But you can't because you don't have it. Right? That's how transference works. And that's why transference is so problematic. And that's what it means when people use that word in a psychoanalytic, in a psychoanalytic way. Um, so now that I've told you all that, what I would like you all to do, if you don't mind, is try to think of an example of transference. Think of a time where you have either transferred something onto somebody or where somebody has transferred something onto you. If you don't want to think, talk about yourself, think about a situation where it happened to somebody else and you just watched it happen. That's fine. Um, but come to class uh, having thought about this. Be prepared to describe an instance where transference came into a relationship in some way, shape, or form. And that's it for this podcast lecture. Thank you for listening to it. Appreciate that. I will see you all in class. Until then, please make some glorious mistakes and take care. <laughs>